0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck.
1: Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's
0: all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome to 2018. This is, or usually is, Franchise for Tea. But today, instead of talking about the Indiana Jones series, uh, we will be discussing our favorite films from 2017, as well as some... As a couple other fun categories, I am your host Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-host James Hamrick. How are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Excited to ring in the new year.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of lot of really awesome films uh, coming up this year. I d- I don't think it'll end up being as just great a, a film of a year for film as 2017 was, but there's still a lot that I'm really excited for.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've got a list that's slowly growing of movies that I feel like I'm going to have to see. Yeah.
0: Uh, before we move into the main topic, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. It would be most most appreciative if you did. Uh, first off, I want to ask, is how many films uh, have you seen from a 2017 that you're pulling from?
1: Um. So I guess it depends. Release dates were a bit weird this year. Um, there are a couple that I'm not really sure is it 2016 or 2017 others are like uh, well with one in particular that was shot in 2015 and not really given a wide release until 2018 in the US but 17 and others
0: sometimes sometimes they'll count like the film festival releases and then they won't be released for another couple months like some of the like a lot of the January releases were technically released you know for awards consideration beforehand it's it's kind of confusing
1: yeah so i i guess in the generally agreed upon release date, it it wasn't really a lot this year. It's probably about twenty five um, new like two thousand seventeen released films.
0: Oh, okay. I saw uh, sixty four. Oh, no, not to brag. <laughs> well, that's including a couple of Netflix films and whatnot. But uh,
1: so is mine.
0: Th- thank you, MoviePass. That's all I got to say. You should really get that, man.
1: Yeah, I know. Honestly, I should have I should have already uh, had it ordered. It'll it'll probably end up happening here in a few days.
0: Yeah. So, um, this year was really, really hard to rank. Uh, especially since I watched uh, all the money in the world, Molly's game, the post, I, Tanya, and uh, I think there's another one. I forget. Uh, uh, the Florida project all within like a week, the last week and a half. So kind of all just sort of started to blend together. They're all really great films. Um, Fortunately, I most of them did not make it to my final rankings, but just, yeah, re- a really nice way to round off the year. Did you see? Have you seen any of those yet?
1: I haven't, and they all are on my list this year of movies that I wanted to see, uh, especially The Florida Project. Uh, that really just looked like something I was going to enjoy, but uh, I'll probably just end up renting it
0: here in a bit. Yeah, that is a very good film. Um, so just to. S- Uh, Since we like to be positive, we will start off uh, and get the negatives out of the way. Uh, What was your least favorite film of 2017, James?
1: Well, my personal least favorite this year was Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Really? Yeah. To me, this just felt like if you made a movie and incorporated all of the bad from the prequels with none of the good, (laughs) or at least very little of the good
0: there's a lot of the good from the prequels in there
1: ah uh, well you you looked harder than I did I guess um, for me the plot really wasn't that grand it wasn't this big in scope it's fairly simple which makes it all the more an egregious sin for how convoluted and poorly told this plot is it's It's so weird in its execution and it's not helped by the fact that Dahan is terrible in it. (laughs) He sounds to me like like a teenager in that awkward stage with his voice who's trying to like artificially deepen it to sound cool. It's
0: just such a weird, weird performance He's supposed to be this cool, badass ladies' man who has a whole list of conquests, but he—he he just comes off this kind of just slimy d- uh, dweeb who's just play acting at everything.
1: Yeah, he's the kind of guy that would have gotten like shoved in the lockers, like greasy hair, weird, sleazy. I don't know. He had he had no charm, no chemistry with Cara Delavine, who is surprisingly good in this though. I. I like oddly enough. I actually found that I enjoyed her character more than anyone else in here, and she seemed pretty committed to the role. It like it, she was all right in it. Um, so yeah, just yeah. selling him as this ladies' man just did not happen at all. The climax is one of the most laughably bad and boring ones I've seen in like a sci-fi film, and I, everything good that I can say about it really boils down to its visuals which are like this is just a very very pretty movie um, yes. there are some moments where i'm like i, I get why people would want to see this in the theater there are some borderline jaw-dropping effects and, and the way they blend the cgi with their their practical creature design and practical effects is really cool but that kind of wore off after about
0: half an hour in. <laughs> and and no matter what you can say bad about, about the imagination is endless just any every type of alien and crazy weird concept you can imagine is on screen and then a couple thousand more in every direction you could possibly look it's it's crazy
1: yeah the imagination is like bursting from the movie and i'll definitely give it that the different gadgets they come up with like the opening market scene is just really really cool um the entire concept of the city itself. I love the opening montage for how it was built. I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. the critics got this wrong. I can tell this is going to be good. It's um, yeah, the, f-
0: the first half, like 20 minutes to a half hour, I think is almost great. And then it just kind of forgets about a story Then occasionally remembers and doesn't really go anywhere. It's
1: yeah. I, I think ultimately it's, it's biggest problem was that one, it's almost two and a half hours long and a lot of times in the movie's defense, people will say, well, really, it is just an excuse to look cool. But if it's just an excuse to look cool and has like a bare bones plot that you're not supposed to care about, the movie is way too long and it stops far too often to focus on characters for a movie that's not supposed to really be about them.
0: You did need a super awkward uh, Rihanna striptease.
1: Yeah, that was that was really, really <laughs> weird, uh, especially considering it went on for like five minutes and we're just cutting back and forth between her and Dahan sitting in a chair and um Ethan Hawke is this weird flamboyant cowboy playing piano. It is just a very surreal moment, but I think that it's it definitely had its enjoyable moments, but somehow this movie made Attack of the Clones look like Shakespeare. With this love <laughs> it's just it all kind of fell know, apart I, to me.
0: I thought it I thought it looked like Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um so for me uh, my least favorite is actually a very tiny little uh, uh, Netflix film called Little Evil. It's made by the Tucker and Dale versus Evil director Eli Craig, and I had w- high hopes for it because that's a you know that's a fantastic horror comedy. We uh, reviewed it on Underrated, um, but this just wasn't good. There was nothing. <laughs> There's basically nothing good in it. It's just a super bland, boring film. It's just the everything about it just the the co- the concept the pacing the plot the, and just the way the, the the scares nothing really works it's just really kind of half-hearted effort the, it's ca- supposed to be a horror comedy but it's neither horrific or comedic um it wastes evangeline lilly which is just unforgivable and has one of the most insufferable sidekicks i've ever seen on film uh, it's just really really bland. Um however I, I do want to mention my second worst uh of this year which is Bright. And I thought, you know, I should compliment David Ayer on his uh, you know, consistency seeing as Suicide Squad was my least favorite film <laughs> last year, so <laughs> he's still right on the mark.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Um and so regarding those films that we couldn't figure out for uh, 2016 or 2017. Uh I had a couple um yes, yeah, so like A Monster Calls and Patriot's Day. I I they both came out in January, um, but technically they were given, I guess, awards consideration releases in December. So I, I took them off my list just to just to you know make sure it's all fair and square. But uh a Monster Calls would have been my favorite this year, and favorite or second favorite last year, uh depending on wh- wherever you place it. And uh Patriots Day was a I think a really solid thriller. I'm not sure what it made my top ten this year. But it's just, it was from a P- Peter Berg I saw uh, very shortly after seeing Deepwater Horizon and he's becoming, you know, one, one of the, those must-see directors for me.
1: Yeah, for me, I also included a Monster Calls. Obviously, we had done an episode on Underrated over it. So, anybody who had listened to that knows how much I'm in love with that movie. Um, and it's kind of a shame that it fell in this weird window. Where it really doesn't show up on a lot of people's like top ten lists of this year, but because of how late it was released and how pretty much most of us weren't really able to see it till January, it really didn't show up on any list for 2016 either. So it it was almost a um, a victim of its its weird release window. But I wanted to make sure I included it here to give it some love because it's just such a such a wonderful movie. Uh, yeah. And the other movie I included was Split which I feel kind of fell into that same awkward
0: window. Well, it's... it's <laughs> I know, I, I kind of kept it on my list as well, I don't know. I'm only taking off so many, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to hear us talk more about A Monster Calls, we do have an episode uh, of it for underrated. And so uh, now we're going to do our, the most underrated films of 2017. Uh, James, what were yours?
1: So, for my underrated, I have... First and foremost, Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, it hurts me to read the reviews for this uh, sometimes, and yet I still do. But to me, like going into it, I was surprised at how like sweet and thoughtful the movie was. It was almost like this very, this very heartfelt character drama disguised as a uh, a murder mystery. Uh, it's, it's got a really cool visual flair. The music is honestly some. this one of the best original scores of 2017 by far. Um, the cast all around are completely committed to these really fun roles. Um, it, it's more thought provoking than I thought it'd be, but it's it's also got that that very uh, iconic kind of Kenneth Branagh sense of charm. Mm-hmm. I, I just to me, you almost have to work t- to come up with like real reasons to dislike this movie just because of how how it wears its heart on its sleeve. And it's just so nice about, you know, the entire plot. Um, I mean, it's a murder mystery, and yet it somehow ends up being this very, very nice, quiet, introspective movie. So I, I really enjoyed it a lot.
0: Yeah, I think you just mismarketing and also, you know, being based on a whodunit Agatha Christie novel, it... it People went in expecting, you know, a you know a really tight, slick murder mystery, and what we got was something that was, you know, far more character driven and more interested in just themes and you know uh, and you know the character arcs and just following these humans through this, this, these circumstances and exploring, uh, you know, some of the ramifications of things like murder and whatnot, and. I honestly, if I have to choose between you know, a tight slick thriller and a great uh, lovely little character piece, I'll t- probably take the character piece, uh, which I and obviously as you mentioned the um the visuals are gorgeous. The, the, the cinematography in every shot, it, it's not just pretty for the sake of looking pretty. It's constantly conveying just you know thematic uh, uh imagery. It, it's always just it's always informing the scene and enriching every uh every shot you know it just enriches the scene it's really really good direction from Branagh and you know the way he just makes these films that are just so guileless and as he said sweet but also just so full of this wonderful heart and he just he loves the all of the characters and it's a great cast and everyone is just having a lot of fun he has he brought in all of these really esteemed character actors, and each one you know, just got to inhabit their roles and have a great time. Um, it's just a wonderful little old-fashioned film that I think has a lot of heart.
1: Yeah, and I'm really, really rooting for a sequel. I'm hoping this happens.
0: Yeah, it's been greenlit.
1: Awesome, because I need to see Hercule again, because he <laughs> became one of my favorite leads of this whole year.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and for my uh, underrated films, I had uh, Ghost in the Shell, which uh, this kind of fell victim to the whole whitewashing whitewashing controversy, which I really, I, I'm not going to comment on. Uh, and also, a lot of you know fans of the the previous adaptation, you just said, "Oh, it's it's not, it's not faithful." Whatever, it's not it's not nearly as intelligent or thought provoking. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that either. Just looking at the film, we got. I think it's a very a, a gorgeously directed. Uh, Rupert Sanders has a really great visual eye. Um, it, there's a lot of Blade Runner in there, but I think he manages to make his own his vision pretty distinctive. It's just a, a really immaculate looking film. I think the the core drama of you know just the, it's a lot of you know, exploration of AI and humanity, but it's very well done. Scarlett Johansson is excellent, um, and I, I think it's just a very it's a you know gorgeous looking, very intelligent sci-fi film, and maybe you know maybe it's not the most original, but I think it tells its story very well uh, with a you know a lot of flair. Um, and it kind of fell victim to a bunch of a whole bunch of kind of outside circumstances, which I think is unfortunate.
1: And that's one I actually own and have yet to see, but I do look forward to watching it.
0: It's not perfect, but I think it just the, the 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 critical bashing was entirely unwarranted. And uh, finally, The Greatest Showman. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love this movie. This... I, 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 It ultimately did not end up on my top ten, but <laughs> I really wanted it on there. Just because just for pure entertainment value, this film might just be my favorite this year. It's... Again, this is another film that just got totally trashed critically. And... Honestly, I, I, I really have nothing to say to people who don't like this movie, just because it is so open and joyful. Very, very similar to to uh, you know, Mark on the Orient Express. There is absolutely no cynicism. There's no, there's not just not a hint of you know, you know, darkness to it. It's just a a joyful film. The music is fantastic. Every single one of its nine songs are like total showstoppers, which is I don't can't think of another musical that comes or at least film musical that comes close to having this many like truly great songs um it's really gorgeously directed it's, it's shot by uh, Sean McGarvey who is uh, Joe Wright's uh usual cinematographer um so it it looks gorgeous the song dance numbers are just outstanding you will be singing as you walk out of the theater and it's just a, a film you know about you know accepting those who are different from you uh you know ambition uh, you know, and how, um, the story of Hugh Jackman kind of as a family man trying to provide for his family. It's just a really wonderful, sweet movie with these incredible songs. I have been listening to the soundtrack nonstop, and I don't think it's going to stop for at least in a couple months still, and I'll probably still come back and revisit it uh, quite often. I have seen it twice in theaters, and I, I really want to check it out again before it leaves. That's
1: probably the one that I'm most upset about missing. Um, I need to make sure that if I don't see it in theaters, at least I'll, I'll probably end up renting it around the week it comes out. Uh, because I, I'm kind of disappointed at the lack of musicals because I think when done right, they're just such a joy to watch. Um, and we mostly just kind of have to, not that it's a bad thing, but have to go back to, you know, the 50s um, for these great classics. And I really wish that more people would be more open to to newer ones that could potentially become classics.
0: Yeah, and, and I think this is, this is also a case where it was kind of marketed as if it was trying to be a prestige picture, whereas it is absolutely a family film. Like it, it deals with really difficult things like racism and discrimination, but it does it in a uh, you know a more simplified way that not that's not dumbed down, but just in a way that children can understand. And I think a lot of people are upset first off that it's it doesn't stick to reality, which I think is. Laughable. I mean, film has been around for like 120 years, and <laughs> never once has based on a true story film actually meant that. So I, I'm really kind of confused that people actually still complain that you know films don't uh, aren't don't stick close to reality. I think that's kind of ridiculous. And also, uh, it's it, it it is it's a bit rushed. I think it, you know it just really moves very fast. It just kind of has fun with itself, and I think that's that's great greatest strength. It's just it's just having fun. It's it's about celebrating. You know, just the joy of going to a good show and having, and just you know, being swept up in the drama and the spectacle of it all. And this film was completely self-aware about what it is and what it's trying to accomplish. And I I really think that should be celebrated. Uh, Not, and uh, it's just so disappointing that that more people didn't appreciate this. Although the audience loves this film. I've, I mean, aside from a lot of critics who disliked it, looking at the audience rankings and. Like, like looking across these various film forms on Facebook, I'd say about 90% of the people who have seen it just absolutely adore it, which is uh, very encouraging.
1: No, well, that's good news. For my second underrated movie, I have Alien Covenant. And the oh, reception yeah. this movie got was really disappointing to me because it seems that you know fans of the Alien series or of Alien itself didn't like it because they felt it was too dumbed down and it was trying to recreate and recapture what made Alien great. And then fans of Prometheus felt that it had almost entirely lost all of the ambition and more philosophical leanings of Prometheus in favor of trying to be more akin to Alien. But to me, I feel like the movie I saw was this beautiful blend of both where every ounce of the, just cinematic, cinematic perfection of the atmosphere and the aesthetic and set design of Alien is here. This movie is gorgeous. And every, every bit of, I guess, um, Scott's more philosophical leanings are also here. Uh, every scene with David is just dripping with it. Like his, he monologues about what Prometheus was all about. And so I, I really don't see how people came to the conclusions they did, because it definitely has some very glaring issues. But as a whole, I just think it's way too beautiful and an ambitious and well-directed for it to have been received the way it was. And frankly, by the end of that, I am incredibly excited and hopeful uh, to see where Scott takes this if he's able to continue this story.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. As you said, it it has some pretty huge flaws, but there's so much ambition and just you know incredible film craft. You know, Scott, he is inconsistent, but when he's on when he's on point, it's incredible. And the way he builds tension in here is is just astonishing. There's one sequence in particular uh, where, where the crew is first attacked that is just one of the greatest sequences of just tension. All out terror that I've ever seen, um, and the you know the philosophical musings I think are quite fascinating. And honestly, I, I like I like this I like this and Prometheus just conceptually better than the Alien films. I I think I will grant that the execution is probably better at least in the first two Alien films. But I think this movie just is just asking fascinating questions and just going in all these crazy directions that. I mean, honestly, I I'd, I'd rather do this than you know go and have aliens rip people's heads off a couple of times, which which happens in here and it's mostly really well done. But I I I don't I'm kind of annoyed that people you're know, taking this and just complaining that it's not uh you know a generic space slasher.
1: Yeah, it it is disappointing to see how prevalent these preconceived notions of what it was supposed to be uh, were in the minds of audiences. Because, I don't know, I mean, I guess we, we've already really talked about the movie's um, high points and I, I think there's definitely enough of them for it to be considered great. And it, as weird of a word as it is to describe it, it, it may also be like one of the most beautiful movies I've seen of the year. Some of these aerial shots and environmental shots. And and in a weird way, the way Scott uses gore is kind of <laughs> perfect because it's enough to Horrifying. just be very visceral. Yeah, and just terrifying and make you squirmy but not feeling like unnecessarily gratuitous even though i mean it shows everything but i never feel like like it's never like saw where it's just this is the draw it's you're supposed to be terrified not like oh man did you see that it's just the way he he directs the the scenes of terror or even just the scenes of ominous building it's man i i really really enjoyed this
0: yeah and actually, we're going back to a little bit of negativity. What do you think was the most overrated film of 2017?
1: Well, I have two, but I'm, I'm going to put one of them. We'll get, we've got another category that I'll, I'll save one of these for. So, for overrated, I'm going to go with A Ghost Story, which I, I was really excited going into. I thought it had just a really, really intriguing trailer. Um, I'm a big Casey Affleck fan. I, I think he just Really, it started recently. I thought his performance in Manchester by the Sea was just incredible. Um,
0: You like him when he's not covered in a sheet?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which this movie had... I mean, and I should have known, just based on the trailers. But to me, this movie is what I'm going to point to whenever people ask like what the most pretentious movie you've seen is. (laughs) Just because... This movie is supposed to be very emotional and genuine, and it's supposed to you're supposed to feel a very human connection to this. but I don't I think this is probably the coldest movie I've seen in terms of just any sort of emotional connection. I felt so distant from these characters, and I couldn't care less, and that's because to me it, it felt as if the movie cared more about these really weird, off-putting. Filmmaking tactics that would be considered, you know, bold and artsy, than actually creating characters I give, you know, any cares about. Um, the first twenty minutes has so little dialogue, and that's because it's comprised of essentially like four shots that all take like five minutes of nothing. And uh, I mean, we really do see Rooney Mara eat a pie for six minutes uncut <laughs> with no dialogue. And while that scene may be like the biggest, um, the the biggest example of it, moments like that happen throughout. I can probably count about three scenes that actually made made me feel anything. And whenever it's good within those three scenes, it really is like this this cool movie that I'm watching. But it's just I had no connection with it, and you can only stare at someone under a sheet, kind of roaming around a house. For so long. And then... Well,
0: speak for yourself, Jay.
1: (laughs) I I am because it has like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I feel like it was a case of nobody wants to be the loser who didn't get it and say they didn't like it. But, I mean, if it makes me the loser, I'll say it. I just... If there is something to get in this movie, I, I didn't get it because I don't... It doesn't... It asks all these questions and it pretends that it's being familiar and like, oh, we to me i i compare it to a monster calls where it uses this bigger idea of you know a monster visiting you and telling you these stories to cut to something very human and it's it's just the movie itself was almost a platform to say something very human and something that we all feel this movie felt like it was trying to do that but there was no real connection made and then in the last act it does all sorts of weird stuff that it doesn't even bother trying to explain and i i just I left the theater very annoyed that it garnered this kind of reception and that i had actually, because it was such a small movie, I had to go to these like more prestigious theaters to see it, which pretty much just means I paid a lot more than I normally would have. And, uh, yeah, I, I walked out fairly disappointed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically you're confirming everything I thought when I saw the trailer. Um, so mine was It's The, uh, Anne Hathaway kaiju movie with uh, Jason Sudeikis and Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, this film has an interesting concept and some really, really great acting. I think Anne Hathaway is fantastic and the, I, I think a really, really great performance from Jason Sudeikis. But I think its narrative is just completely broken. Like, the the choices characters make. Like there's a character that is one way for half the film and then on a dime he becomes an entirely polar opposite character with like zero explanation and he and like and like that that, that change kind of defines the rest of the film to where and it's I can't I wasn't able to follow because none of nothing that, that nothing that character did in the second half of the film was in any way, had any relation to who that character was in the first half. And it was, it was really irritating. I think, I think it's the, the pacing is really bad. I think it's just kind of, it is really It's super repetitive for like the entire middle of the film. I think it's, it's trying to go for a lot of these lofty metaphors and statements. And I just think it takes these really bad dramatic shortcuts and really, uh, you know, betrays the characters in the writing for the sake of you know making a statement and it just doesn't work i, I mean, think just everything the film is trying to say is just really sloppily put together uh just you know is like they had an end they wanted to get to and they'll get their you know characters and plot be damned and it was just a, it was really frustrating and a lot a lot of people liked it and i you know i acknowledge that all of those ideas and themes were there i just don't think they were earned and i think the storytelling is incredibly sloppy um, but yeah, good performances, interesting concept. You know, kind of just really poor execution, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, that was one. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking that looks like a really interesting movie. I'm probably never going to end up seeing, um, <laughs> just because of the the concept is you know, granted, very original. And I guess were it to come on Netflix, I'd probably watch it. But it feels almost like. Obviously, not the same kind of tone or movie as something like a ghost story, but just one where the movie gets caught up in its hook or its its thing that separates it from everything else, and just kind of forgets to just be a good story and tell it well. And I don't know. I ended up losing interest. <laughs>
0: Uh, and uh, so now we're going to move on to uh, uh, the biggest surprises of 2017. I had a couple pretty big ones. Uh, what were your? What were the uh, the most surprising films of last year for you, James? Whether you know they don't have to, you know they don't have to be like great films. Anything that just surprised you in this case, pleasantly.
1: Um. So I have um, I have two. One I think is more of what we're going for, which is it um i saw the trailer and i thought this is going to be you know a a pretty good scary movie it looks like it's got a cool identity that it it's it's marketing was just fantastic um and i think the reason it was by the end of its run it was almost acknowledged as a legitimate phenomenon like nobody expected Mm -hmm. it to do as well as it did and i think so much of that um is to the credit of how well this movie was marketed and advertised but it lived up to that and almost exceeded it for me. Uh, I thought the young cast they got was really fantastic. I thought they all had great chemistry with each other. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's good enough to where it's not coasting off of the '80s nostalgia, but it's it's kind of you know using that to help it because um, we're all kind of in love with that decade right now. Uh, but even beyond that. It's I I really really liked the characters. I thought that Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, sorry, it's not Alexander. It's Bill Skarsgård. Uh, Bill, right? yeah, yeah. Um, as Pennywise, it's just incredible. If I almost wish that they could stretch this beyond just two chapters, because I really think based on the the design and aesthetic of him, as well as just how dedicated and one hundred percent committed Skarsgård was to the role this interpretation of Pennywise could, to me, kind of go on to reach like Freddy Krueger levels of iconicness just because of how perfect the character is in almost all of the aspects. It's not mm-hmm. really terrifying, and it it's only scary at a few points, but I think that's a testament to just how good it is that I wasn't nearly as scared as I wanted to be, and yet I still enjoyed it more than I thought. Um, so I was just really surprised at how solid the execution was and the movie took itself very very seriously uh which i think a lot of scary movies have just stopped doing at this point so i i'm really excited and fully on board for chapter two
0: yeah i i, I didn't love it, but I, I had a lot of fun watching that and i was i left you know completely uh sold on, on a second chapter and you know doing all the fan casting in my head
1: yeah that's i've, I've got a list out there Um, For my second one, I have Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Um, And to me, honestly, of of all of the films, this one is definitely the one that surprised me the most. And it's weird because, to be completely honest, based on, on the critical reaction it was getting before it released and the trailers, I do have to admit... The, the general consistency of quality in this movie is not as good as I was expecting going in. But to say I was disappointed by it would just feel really disingenuous considering how much I love it now. Uh, I walked out first viewing incredibly conflicted. Uh, the humor just felt too over the top and un-Star Wars-y. It felt like it was living and existing just to subvert my own personal desires going into it. Like Johnson just wanted to annoy me and he was given <laughs> like $200 million to do so. Uh, and so I I didn't know what to think at first. But, you know, four viewings later, I can now say I genuinely love this movie. Um, I, you know, like myself, there's a lot of people, or like myself at first, there's a lot of people who were put off by the subversion. But I couldn't help but still think that because of the way it was filmed and the way the story progressed, I was, on my, or I was on the edge of my seat in that movie in a way that none of the other Star Wars films have ever had. I, I've never felt so sucked into a story and you know, being taken along all these twists and turns like this than any of the other films. Uh, and just, I have to admire the confidence that it makes these bold and audacious decisions with. It, it carries itself... Like it doesn't have a shred or hint of worry as to what the reaction might be. And so between that and the film's just stunning visuals and the fact that it has to me what are some of the most mature and well-executed character arcs and, and not to mention how perfectly acted those arcs are to back it up. I, I, you know, seeing it multiple times now, I can't help but genuinely love this movie.
0: Yeah, I I left the first year also incredibly conflicted. Um, yeah, same as you, having since gone back and seen it four times total, I I do pretty much love this movie. I, I like I like how you mentioned just how unpredictable it is as a film. Like every moment of crisis, I had no idea what was going to happen if they were going to kill off the main characters. If they were gonna kill off all the villains, I, I just did not know what was going to happen, and and you know that that's, that is incredibly rare. If you're you know a semi savvy film goer, that's that's really rare. Even if even if a film can make you tense, you still know where it's gonna go usually. And I had none of that watching this movie. <clears throat> Every step of the way, I was just get on the edge of my seat and just wondering, you know, where can the where is this gonna go? And the places it does go are incredibly, I think just audacious and unexpected and and not just you know subversive for the sake of being subversive there is a bit of that in here in this film that's one of my issues but i think every major action is warranted uh for these characters and their arcs the character arcs in this film are so good and that comes out of the performances um you know mark hamill he hasn't done a lot of screen acting in the last uh 30 40 years But, you know, he is, you know, best supporting actor level good in this movie. Um, there's so many, he has has to go through so much, so many different emotions. Like, he has, like, humorous scenes, he has these really tragic scenes, and he just plays grumpy old man a lot. But every moment of screen time that that he has, I think, is incredible. Um, Daisy Ridley, um... She blew me away in the first one that she continues to impress here. Just her range and abilities. Uh, the whole cast. Oh, yeah. Adam, Adam Driver. Driver. Adam Driver is amazing. And Kylo Ray. Uh, Kylo Ray. Uh, Kylo, Kylo Ren. Not Kylo Ray. Kylo Ren is one of the most interesting villains I've ever seen on film. It has a lot of problems. There's a whole sequence in the middle that I really hate and wish wasn't there. But the things it does right, it gets so incredibly right uh, that I can't help but love it. And uh, the Last Jedi actually is is a uh, one of my honorable mentions. So let's get that out of the way. Um, for me, uh, my, the first surprise was the Power Rangers movie, which the surprise is it's actually kind of good. <laughs> I, I I did I didn't grow up with the Power Rangers. I have no nostalgia for it. Everything I've seen from it looks really really terrible. But so I had zero expectations for this movie, and it is not a very good film. It has so many problems. It's, it's super dumb. But I still, I was shocked at how much, how much of a good time I did have, and that's because uh, it does this really awesome thing, and it actually has good characters with good arcs. I mean, in a blockbuster, it can be done. Yeah, it can be done. <laughs> so yeah, it's it just it, it, it's it's stupid, it's dumb, it's cliched, but it has these really likable characters played by good actors with really solid arcs and it focuses most of the screen time on these characters and learning about them and spending time with them. And what do you know? If we like characters we care about the action. Even if the action isn't all that great, we wanna follow the film. And so yeah, it's not a great film, but I really appreciated and respected how much time and effort it put into his characters. And honestly, I, I, I wouldn't be upset if they made a sequel. Which I don't think they will, but yeah, I'm rather shocked uh that I'm actually saying that. And uh for the other surprise or one of the other surprises was Happy Death Day. Um this is uh, it was advertised as a horror film. I think it's much it, it's actually much more of kind of a, a dramedy with a girl getting stabbed every couple of minutes, but it's and But it, it, it also, the trailers looked really dumb. But it's actually a surprisingly smart, first and foremost. Very smart, very well put together. The editing, is, I think, is really tight. It's kind of, it's you know, it's Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, I think there's another film, that I believe it was 2015 or 2016, called Before I Fall, that had the same concept It's you know, this girl is being killed by a slasher villain, and she keeps waking up until she can, fi- you know, finally... Uh, solve the case and so it's her going around trying to solve her own murder and find out who's who's been killing her all this time and it's just a really tight incredibly funny uh, film with a really solid heart and the lead I think her name is Jessica Roth is really good and engaging Um, it's just a really well put together movie again not perfect but just very clever and smart and heartfelt and really putting in a lot of extra effort to make it, uh, to be good. And so I really, I really appreciated that for, for what looked like to be a really, uh, generic, uh, kind of ripoff of groundhog day.
1: Yeah. That's, I'm just adding that one to the, to an increasingly growing list of movies that I I wanted to see, but never got around to, uh, I actually kind of really liked the, at least the first trailer, uh, just the way it blended music. I, I, I think based on what you're describing, the first trailer kind of seemed like that was what it was hinting at is not really a scary movie it just kind of maybe borrowed some elements but it's it's more of just a clever play on it that focuses more on the comedy uh but I wanted to see it just because I thought that that was kind of an interesting premise and to be more fun and comedic with it uh sounded like it could have been a, a lot of fun to watch
0: Mhm uh, and the final surprise for me was T2 train spotting the Train Spotting sequel that everybody wanted, um, and uh, have you seen Train Spotting, James? I haven't
1: actually seen it.
0: Yeah, so this is a film I, I do like it. It's a it's it's not for the faint of heart, um, but I think there's a just a a crazy underlying underlying energy and exuberance the way with the way uh, Danny Boyle directs it. Uh, it's just it's like ferociously paced and it's constantly moving. And even as these characters are doing horrible things to people and making horrible choices, you just can't stop watching. And it's so much fun. And you kind of like these characters in spite of how terrible they are. And this film, you know, comes back to all these characters 20 years later. And it has, it has that same kind of crazy energy. And just when Danny Boyle is, you know, is, you know, is on point and his style is, is, you know, is flowing It's it's really entertaining and energetic. But what this film also had was this really, I felt, heartfelt um, look at, you know, these characters who are aging and coming back together 20 years later and kind of looking where life has taken them and whatever successes and failures they had. And, you know, they're all going through midlife crises. And I thought it it was just a really uh, poignant film. I, I actually cried a little bit. And it still has all the crazy you know gross out humor from the first one and the insane energy and just people like just you know disgusting people <laughs> being horrible to each other but I think it it managed to you know be an unnecessary sequel that had a really i think it had something really interesting to say and to explore with these characters and it ended up being one of the more emotional films I saw this year uh so yeah, i think if if you like the first one. I think it, there's a there's a definitely a lot to up to explore in this sequel and it got decent reviews, but it, it seems to be pretty quickly forgotten but I, I really really enjoyed it. I think Danny Boyle is still completely on top of his game yeah i
1: having never seen train spotting, I knew a lot about it, and I almost want to watch it just so I can watch the sequel to see just what it's like because it does seem like such an unnecessary Thing. Of all the movies to get a sequel, spotting has got to be in the lower half. Um, for them to have come out with one that, like you said, it's kind of been forgotten by a lot. But a lot of people who I usually end up uh, really agreeing with and respecting uh, gave it pr- really favorable reviews. So I'm interested in uh, maybe checking them both out back to back.
0: Yeah, it was, it was in my top 10 for quite a while. Um and now uh, let's move to disappointments. Um, James, what were the most disappointing films of 2017 for you? I think I can guess one at least.
1: Hey, yeah. So I'll name. I'll probably save that for last. Uh, I'll name one that I know that you actually don't have. That for me, one of the most disappointing movies this year was Life.
0: Don't you do it? Okay, that one. All right.
1: Um. But I think I know what you're saying, and I will definitely bring that one up after this. <laughs> um, I really love the trailers for this movie. Uh, I thought that all this, like, all this movie had to do to differentiate itself from the movie that will be compared to, which is Alien, was just kind of come up with a, with a different enough creature to where you're able to use it in ways that, you, that Scott may not have. And what's so unfortunate about this movie is it does that for the first half. I really, really enjoy the first half of this movie. I think um, what, like the discovery of it and watching it slightly grow and the crew interact with it, it felt really original and cool. And I was completely on board with all of these characters and their interactions and the way they were reacting to the discovery. and And the first time they have a negative encounter with it, with... It latching onto its hand or to, uh, to the scientist's hand was one of the most tension fueled scenes I've seen all year. To where I was like scraping the armchair, uh, my armrest on my theater seat, and I felt like we, the entire audience breathed a collective sigh of relief when they finally got it out. But then to see what it had done, it was just this very intense and visceral scene. And then, um, spoiler alert, real quick. Uh although I guess just, I just,
0: just just don't say his name or what he does to it.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, so the the first death to me completely took me off guard in the best way possible. It was it was disgusting, but again kind of in that really Scott way where it's it's meant to terrify you.
0: It's I, one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in my life and uh, probably ever will see just it, oh God, I'm like gagging just thinking about it and because
1: these two films were both in the first half and kind of followed closely I was almost paranoid watching the rest of because I was like what could they possibly do next um, but unfortunately despite having an incredible creature design by just having it be so foreign looking and unlike anything they, they make the decision to give the creature a face and it That kind of marks the turn. It did? Yeah, it almost just becomes like a floating man array with a legitimate mouth and eyes. And I just, at that point, it it wasn't as scary because it just now looked like a typical creature design. And the movie almost felt like it followed suit where it was no longer really intense. It just felt like it was trying to be intense. And it was, it took a turn to to the generic really, really quickly, had a really unnecessary ending to me, one that I don't particularly hate like a lot of people do, just one that, to me, underlined the fact that I was supposed to care walking out, and I just really didn't. Uh, So based on really great trailers and what I consider to be a really great first half, I couldn't help but be disappointed by how mediocre and generic it ended up being.
0: (laughs) I didn't particularly like the thrillers. So I I thought it was decent. I think I thought just the use of just tension and the the various creative ways it it, it twisted you know, the 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 kind of alien formula. I I I enjoyed it. I think this characters were pretty weak and I really hate the ending, but I I found it to be a you know perfectly suitable uh space thriller.
1: And so to talk about the one that I think that you're thinking of uh I have included Free Fire.
0: Boo.
1: Because man, this movie was just really, really boring to me. I'm I'm not sure what it was trying to be because it was mildly funny at best and mind-numbingly boring at worst. I the novelty of the concept wore off after about Twenty minutes after it started, uh, and it felt like th- at times it wasn't even trying to be entertaining. And I would have, even though I hate doing this, I would have allowed myself <laughs> to fall asleep were it not for how much uh, I I did legitimately enjoy Army Hammer and Charlton Copley in it, who are like at their complete best in this and completely the saving grace. But yeah, the trailer. Probably affected it a little bit just because that's one of the most perfect trailers I've ever seen. It is, but some some of the jokes just did not land at all, and the movie is. It feels like the movie itself is acknowledging the joke as if it was just a you know a grand slam. It it feels like someone laughing at their own joke way too hard when you just want to say okay, it wasn't that funny. Um, and yeah, like. I, I thought that there was going to be huge, just a bunch of different ways that you could make the idea that everyone's just kind of on their stomach in this free fire more entertaining and funny. But there's honestly not even a whole lot of free fire going on. It's just people shouting really gross insults at each other and there's nobody who's likable. There's, I don't know, it just felt completely bland. And, and it just goes through these weird shifts where we'll be completely slow and then we'll we'll speed up and get really chaotic for like two minutes and we'll go back to being really slow. But it, it's not done in a really fun kind of way. It's just, oh, okay, so you did that. And, oh, okay, so we're back to this. And all right, when is this going to be over?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I could not disagree with you more. I had a, a blast with this film. It's not as great as the tra- the trailer was. But honestly, everything that was happening in this film was like completely on my wave. Like this, it's just a bunch, you know, like a dozen idiots, you know, hiding behind barrels and shooting at each other, and you know, <laughs> getting progressively more and more hurt and more angry and more just confused and crazy as the night goes on. And I, I, just, I kind of loved it. Um, uh, you mentioned, you know, Charlize Copley and uh, and R.B. Hammer. There's also Br- Brie Larson and Killian Murphy are in this, and a, couple, a bunch of other really great character actors. And uh, I just I just thought the characters were fun. The way they played the the really claustrophobic Saturday, I thought it was really clever. I thought the script was was funny. Um it it, it it is pretty empty and super cynical, but just I was just you know, the more p- these people just got shot and hurt, I was just kept giggling. I just I just found it incredibly entertaining. Like everything you're complaining about, I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. So
1: see it's the the premise the concept of everything I I love to the idea that it's just a series of people who keep getting shot but like it just happens to be a series of of wounds that are completely survivable at least in the in the short term that's hilarious it's the the dialogue did not work for me there was very very few lines that I thought were actually funny um and I like I said, i I really loved Charlotte Copley's character and Army Hammer's character. but I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Killian Murphy, but he was just kind of there. I didn't dislike him. I love Brie Larson, and she's just kind of there. Um, I, I forget the name of the actor, but it's the the older brother from Sing Street who I, I loved him. Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner. Um, he is just obnoxious and just really revolting in this movie and not in like the the fun kind of way. Uh, like his, what he did just to instigate this whole situation at first was just very off-putting to me. Like
0: it wasn't was, him. It was, it was uh that w- that was uh different character. Oh, yeah.
1: that's right. That's right. Sorry,
0: Sam something.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, sorry. So switch the, everything I had said about him applied to the other person. This is how much I remember it or care to remember it. But I just I, I remember the, the everything that instigated the whole situation. Like when that was explained, I was like, oh, I just already feel kind of gross. Um, so it was, it was lackluster for me. There, there were moments of genuine greatness, but they're sprinkled through a generally unfunny movie to me.
0: I liked it. (laughs) All right. Um, for me, actually you still have one, right?
1: Well, I have two more, but I know, I, I thought maybe we could leave the one that hurt the most for last, but I know that, that we have two that we both agree on.
0: Alright, so I'll just say it. well the first the, the the second to uh most disappointing was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And this is I like this movie. I I you know I gave it a positive rating, and I, I had a lot of fun with it. For me the, the disappointment came just simply from absolutely adoring the first one so much, and then this one just being good. And having also, it just it has a lot of structural issues like the the places the characters go to the character arcs they have, and you know just the way the plot moves around just makes no sense there's there's no cohesion and like driving momentum there's like large portions of the film that where nothing important happens and then they kind of all come together and Act like they have learned a whole bunch of things and they've, as if they've grown together, except they've all been separate for half the film. It's just a a lot of structural and writing issues. It's still, you know, it's it's very funny. It's incredibly creative and colorful. The acting's great. The characters are fun. It's just, it was disappointing simply because the first one was such a perfect film. And then coming to this one, it's just, it felt really just slapped together and lazy and, and just. Try like both trying too hard and not trying at all in other areas, for a film that was was still entertaining but nowhere near the level of the first one.
1: Yeah. So you saw this one before me, um, and I knew that you weren't a big fan, but I didn't want to really read any of your criticisms because I wanted to I wanted to go in and form my own opinion. Um, and when I left, everything it just seemed like all of our problems were like the exact same. To where I just walked out thinking, how did this movie get greenlit in its current stage? Obviously, a sequel was inevitable, and I was, anticip- like, very, very much anticipating a sequel because, you know, I mean, my review for the first one is this five-star glowing review because I just adore the first one. Um, but I-, I remember reading an article that said that, like, for the first time, this was the only MCU script to be sent back with no revisions necessary, uh, which. <laughs> Excited me a lot, but seeing it now, I just thought <laughs> it had a lot of. There was so many things. Yeah, and and the big offender to me is the structure where it's you have this this introduction that introduces this whole like new race and everything. You got a fun little bit with them right there. It's all well and good, and that's where they should have stayed. But the movie is so convinced of the importance of this race that they keep showing up and slowing the movie down for no reason. They're completely misused, like misused in that they shouldn't have been used at all in the climax um yeah they, it pretends that it really grew the the ensemble as a family when they've spent most of the movie separate rocket just starts this really weird arc and doesn't like i mean i see where they think they finished it but to me it was it was barely started and it was lazily finished and uh, i i really really love uh dave Bautista. And there are moments of him that I, I still love in here, but it also just feels like they're overplaying like the very on-the-nose kind of humor. Um, and whereas you had like, I wouldn't say they're subtle, but you just have really witty lines like, nothing goes over my head, I will catch it first. Um, whereas in this one, it's just, he's literally just saying everything he's thinking. And it's, um, some of it's as a, like an actual contextual reason, but a lot of it's just, an attempt at humor based on his character that doesn't work. And it, the the movie stops on a planet and just stays there for huge portions of time. Gamora just walks off and has her own little, almost mini movie separate from everything else. And then decides to come back and pretend that she's relevant to this new story. It's, it just felt like such a mess, but like you, I still, I ended up giving it a positive review just because the cast still seemed completely committed to these characters. And it, it's just such an imaginative and beautiful-looking movie. Everything on the planet Ego just looks like it's right out of um, the Jack Kirby, like, 70s psychedelic era of comic books. And there was still a lot of fun to be had with it. It's just, it, it did feel like a bit of a mess in comparison.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that makes it hurt so much is that there is so much just raw potential in this. But, like, the character, even though the character arcs are, like, horribly integrated into the actual plot, the character arcs themselves are really good. Uh, the acting is great, and the, I think it has one of the most emotional moments in any MCU film at the end. I you know I, I did shed tears, but it's just, it, it felt like it took a lot of shortcuts that, that that, even though the moments are emotional, they don't feel entirely earned. So it's it's a film that you know has it has its heart in the right place. James Gunn obviously loves these characters. He's Obviously, very passionate, but it just felt it needed you know, another four or five script revisions. Um, and then the uh, the one I think that we both share for most disappointing film this year is Justice League. Uh, any, like anyone who's a fan of our podcast, underrated, knows we absolutely adore Zack Snyder's uh you know take on, or his, his um take on the DCEU you know where he took Superman where he took Batman Wonder Woman just we 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 really love those uh, you know BVS and Man of Steel we were beyond excited for Justice League I think the trailers were great and then unfortunately the the uh, tragedy happened with uh, Zack Snyder's daughter and he, he had to leave uh, you know absolutely understandably so so they brought in Zack Snyder, and they brought in Joss Whedon, and the the word, you know, the official word was oh, he's only coming in, you know, to oversee this the 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 standard reshoots, but we are definitely trying really hard to make sure this will be Zack Snyder's movie. Like he kept saying they the, you know, they brought the cast up to say yeah, this is Zack Snyder's movie. There's there's no real the only there's no changes at all. It, we're just finishing up reshoots. And then the movie came out and we realize they were all a bunch of li- <laughs> they're all a bunch of liars <laughs> because not only was the film cut down to two hours after it was obviously shot to be at least two and a half hours, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually originally intended to be around three hours long. But it, and so it's like incredible; it's incredibly rushed. These sequences just like are way shorter than they should be. They f- the they feel super jarring. Like you can tell. Like, if you've watched Zack Snyder's films, you know he has a certain rhythm. And watching this, you could tell. Th- this Zack Snyder would never have shot a film to be cut like that. Every scene felt cut down. Also, there were a, a lot of reshoots, you know, in, involving um, Henry Cavill and his famous mustache, which better be really good in Mission Impossible 6. But, it's just... It's not even that it's a bad film. It's a perfectly competent movie without a soul. Uh, and I, I don't want to... Entirely blame Joss Whedon because, in looking at *Suicide Squad*, you have an example of like what can go wrong when you have a film that is taken by the studio and just chopped to bits. The fact that this movie is even watchable and is mostly coherent, I think, is a huge testament to his skill as a storyteller. The fact that he could take a you know two and a half three hour movie and make it function as a two hour movie is, is, is I think says a lot in his favor. However, I think his style just doesn't work. His sense of humor sticks out like a sore thumb. And like the, the dramatic things he wants to focus on are very different from the things that Snyder would would have wanted to focus on, so it, it just ends up being a completely watered down and unremarkable mess from what should have been you know the climactic episode in uh in Zack Snyder's Superman trilogy you know you had Man of Steel and BVS which were so clearly leading to this triumphant return and it was just so completely lackluster and as people who were so invested in this story i have spent so much time online defending these movies for a movie to be action to action for a movie to actually be everything people have been criticizing about the dcu is just so demoralizing
1: yeah i when i describe my feelings about this movie i always sound so melodramatic and and when i say (laughs) this i i don't mean that this was the worst movie i've ever seen in the theater but this was the most disappointing cinematic experience of my life. Um, I I love Man of Steel, and I think the extended edition of BVS is just pretty much a masterpiece in my eyes. Um, I love his take on the character. I, I don't think he's lost anything heroic about Superman in this interpretation, and I was so excited to prove everyone wrong because i'd always said you know don't worry the superman you love is going to be coming in justice league and all of all of the nerdum will you know stand hand in hand praising this movie and people might even get more on board with uh man of steel and batman versus superman now that they saw where he was always intending to go and then wb just really really butchered this movie and tweras I was bracing myself for disappointment just because of the constant news we were hearing about it. Um,
0: but it like, you, you you had to take all that with a grain of salt, though, because the, the fake news surrounding the DCU oh, has true. been insane. So it was like, you really can't, you don't know what you can believe or not. And in this case, it turns out we should have probably have <laughs> believed a bit more of it. Uh,
1: and then, I'm probably more bitter about this one than any other, just because of when we say it turns out that, you know, oh, a lot of what they were saying, you know, it turns out they're liars. This isn't just based off of watching it. It's based off of knowing legitimate, from from very real sources, things that happen with the movie. Um, very intentional deviations. Um, very intentional changes. Uh, mandates that were never broadcast. Um, much more extensive reshoots than they, they had ever said. It was just there was a very much a a huge amount of blatant lies coming from the studio in an attempt to keep the Snyder fans happy, as well as trying to bring on some optimism for people who hadn't enjoyed it. And it's just this watered down movie that I really had almost no investment in. Uh, And the, the things that really hurt about it are the fact that, you know, we've spent so much time defending Snyder and it felt like this movie. There was no thought paid, or no thought or attention paid to the people who have who have cared about it so far. They were so so focused on gaining love from people who had hated it that they that there was no attempt to really please the people who had still loved it. And honestly, I don't know if I will ever forgive uh, Danny Elfman um, <laughs> because. I'm sorry, it's it's such a bland score in comparison to the amazing, amazing epic sweeping tracks from Zimmer and um, Hulkenberg, most notably known as uh, Junkie XL, and as many props as I legitimately do give Whedon, uh, I'm also not sure if I will ever forgive him for firing Junkie XL and bringing on Elfman, or what he has done to Superman, because... Yeah, uh when he showed up, he showed up as not a real person, just a quipping machine designed to recapture a a version of this character that's not really relevant anymore. And uh one of my friends <laughs> described it as being physically assaulted by the screen during the final act <laughs> and so as melodramatic as it is, I yeah, it was it was very disappointing to see what should have been just this amazing final installment to an epic trilogy just be such a watered-down mess.
0: Yeah, it's like a perfectly fine film that has no identity. And this series so far has had such a clear, strong vision and direction and thematic purpose for a film to just come out and just exist. (laughs) It's such a letdown. All right. Did you have any more disappointments before you move into the uh, honorable mentions?
1: Fortunately, that were that were. Or sorry, fortunately, those were the only big disappointments for me.
0: All right. Uh, so, what were your honorable mentions?
1: Uh, movies that I really wanted to include but weren't able to. Um, it hurt not being able to include Blade Runner twenty forty nine, oh. just because of how strong the direction is in this movie, and I think that. This movie may have edged out um, Last Jedi and um, Alien Covenant for just overall the best-looking movie of the year for me. Uh, the, Maybe
0: the decade. Yeah, and this movie is just...
1: Seeing it in IMAX was such an incredible exp- and an enjoyable experience. Uh, Roger Deakins was at his absolute best. This movie is never not jaw-droppingly, uh, jaw-droppingly beautiful. Uh, even just inside of sets, like closed sets, it still manages to be incredible. And there are some shots that where this movie to have performed better than it unfortunately did should, should just be iconic from now on because of how perfect the composition is. And um, Yeah, it, it, I really wanted to include it because of how much I loved it. Um, but I, I also had Dunkirk, which I was a really big fan of, um, but was also unfortunately not able to, to make the list. I, I don't really fault it for not being as emotional as it was because I think that was kind of the point, but at the end of the day, it didn't quite hit me the way I wanted it to. Uh, but nonetheless, it was just an incredible piece of direction with, uh, also, incredible cinematography from Hoyt Van Hoytema. Uh, it's it's between those two at the Oscars for cinematography. Everyone else might as well give up thinking about any potential. Um, and then I had Split, which was I haven't seen The Visit, so while I do trust your opinion, I can't say was the true return to form for Shyamalan, um, but Split. I was just so taken aback by how much I enjoyed this movie. James McAvoy was absolutely phenomenal in the role. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is becoming like the actress, or my new must-see actress, just because of how good she is in everything I've seen, and this was no different. Uh, Shyamalan's direction here felt so much more, I guess disciplined and focused here than it's been in a while like he was he had such a very clear vision for this movie and the way he puts it together was really good um and then murder on the orient express which we had talked about before just very very delightful experience uh and then lastly was the disaster artist uh i i like many of uh many people who roam the internet love the room and love watching it um it is definitely the king of so bad it's good. And what I loved about the disaster artist was just how how impressive the balance was at, at making this person both annoying and despicable and and portraying him as an idiot sometimes and yet still managing to be very respectful of him uh, and reverent of, of the work he put into it. It was this tightrope, Walk that I I just didn't think that could be manageable, but they did. I think it's it's got this huge amount of heart. Uh, it's so obvious that the people making this movie are totally invested in this story, in the original movie, and in the people who put it together. I think it's hilarious throughout, um, and I, I think it's a really good piece of direction from Franco, um, and a fantastic performance from him. So this This was definitely one that I was very pleased with because I was looking forward to it, and uh, again, it was one that I wanted to include, but just couldn't. It was good. It was better than good <laughs> yeah
0: I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was very funny, had some decent heartfelt moments. I just I think it might have been a bit too in love with with the room and maybe I think it relied a bit too much on on that and your your prior knowledge for its emotional connection. Um still it's very funny it it very well acted it's a, a solid movie I, I just i didn't i didn't love it nearly as much as everybody else in the world did
1: I, I think it's one of the examples and one of the few exceptions that i i make where its reliance on something else is kind of permissible where it it was made almost exclusively for the people who have kind of um deified the room as this Magnum Opus of weirdos. this kind of terrible movies, because um, that movie, The Room, has just built up such an insane cult following to where there is a very legitimate culture surrounding it. Yeah, so insane. if <laughs> since I would consider myself belonging to that culture and I I just love it, I quote the movie all the time because I I belong with that culture. This movie just felt like. A very sincere love letter to the fan base that I'm a part of, uh, and I couldn't help but love it because of that.
0: I uh, for my honorable mentions uh, there's The Last Jedi. We already talked about that. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express and uh, Beauty and the Beast. <coughs> uh, so my my honorable mentions are The Last Jedi and Murder on the Orient Express, which we've already talked about, as well as uh, Train Spotting and The Greatest Showman, so I'll, I'll just skip over those. A um, couple more were Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I really love this movie. It's, yes, it's kind of, it is sort of a pretty blatant remake of the animated classic, except I think it's a, a whole lot better. I think it takes the great story, the great music, and the great characters, but gives it a much stronger story with better pacing and and more much more character depth and development. I just think it's a very sweet, heartfelt film that has just really solid character arcs, but I think the first one just didn't. I think the first one it suffered from being only, you know, it it had to be 90 minutes. It came in, sung its songs, and you know, told its plot, but really had no time to, you know, allow us to get to know and fall in love with these characters. Everything felt rushed. So, to come back and to you know take that great story and just put some meat on its bones and and uh, just allow us to spend the time to get to know these characters to, to all, and to go on this journey with them. I really appreciate it. It's really visually gorgeous um The, the acting is fantastic, and uh, I like the twists they put on the music and as well as bringing in some really fantastic new songs that totally stand up with with the classic ones. so uh, just a really wonderful movie. Uh Steven Spielberg's The Post, I just saw it last week. Um it's a Steven Spielberg movie with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. It's amazing. Uh it's not, not amazing, but really, really good. Just you know, everything we love you love about uh late career Spielberg. Um you know, taking these really wonderful, inspiring stories and making the heck out of them. Uh I really enjoyed it. I Tanya, this movie was really surprising. Um It's the the story. It's Margot Robbie playing the uh, Olympic figure skater uh, Tanya Harding and the the whole scandal uh, surrounding something that she may or may not have did. I'm not going to spoil if you if you're not familiar with the story, which I I wasn't. It's totally in a a non-linear fashion. Uh, You know, a lot of cuts to interviews and you know uh, musical cues and this really energetic, constantly roving camera and the characters are always breaking the fourth wall. It's just really just exuberant movie that takes this really, really crazy story and tells it with a lot of personality and fun, but and a lot of, you know, a surprising amount of heart. Um, Margot Robbie is incredible. Sebastian Stan is amazing. Um, what's the mother's name? Uh, Alice and Janney is, is really, really good as this incredibly crotchety, bitter old woman. Um, just a really... Good biopic that that take that tells that takes its story and tells it in, in very just creative ways and and it it just moves at this breakneck pace and and it deals with some really heavy issues um in, in ways that, that, that don't it's crazy that for a film for how fun this film is some of the really dark material it deals with it it just balances its tone in a, in a way that's really incredible um so like I, this is Probably a shoe-in for Best Picture, not at least a nomination, and I wouldn't even be mad if it won because I think it's a really, really good movie. Um, very, very surprising, especially – I wasn't all that impressed with the trailers.
1: That was one that I really, really wanted to watch because I'm a really big fan of the big short. I thought that movie was surprisingly fantastic, and the trailers, to me, gave me that same kind of vibe of uh, – a, a very real biopic but one that's having a lot of fun with it and being creative in the way it told this story and with you know fourth wall breaking it it just really seemed like based on the trailer that adam mckay had just decided to do another one um and so i really want to see it and i may end up still seeing uh end up seeing it here in a couple of days
0: uh and the final honorable mention is wind river which i believe is on your list
1: it is on my list. So, right, so, so I'll say that
0: for it. later. Um, so into our top five, uh, for 2017, what is your number five, James?
1: For my number five, I do have star Wars, the last Jedi. Uh, and so we, we have talked about it already, so I'm not going to just harp on it some more. Uh, but there were just a few things that I did want to talk about a little bit more than, than we already had. Um, you know, with four viewings now, I think what what really makes me love this movie so much is how much this movie cares about its characters. And I know there's about half of a fan base out there telling you that this movie doesn't care at all about Luke and actually actively hates him, and <laughs> kind of almost even the same for people like Ray. And um, I I could not disagree with that more. To me, the better the arc. The, the more it cares about it. And, you know, the, the way this movie deals with Luke and the journey he goes on here is one of the most mature and well-written character arcs of the entire series. And it's backed up by Hamill performing at his absolute best of the series. Um, and Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver are just fantastic the way this movie deals with these characters the way their arcs mirror each other and the way they contrast from each other um there's so many similarities and differences that are that just feel too intentional um to not take note of and uh their performances are just so fantastic and honestly I know it's sacrilege, but Kylo is really fighting for my top spot in terms of favorite villain of the series, um, and so yeah, I just one of the things that I had mentioned earlier was just how how bold and audacious it is, or and audacious it is, but how confident it it is in that way, um, and from from start to finish. It's just such an enjoyable experience once you know what you're in for. Um, And what I think it's done is it's brought us back to the same sense of wonder and awe that, that we got from A New Hope. And it set Abrams up to really go places that we've never really seen before for Nine. And so, you know, just to keep this one a bit shorter... Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm genuinely in love with this movie now and I'm really happy that it was made now that I've had time to fully digest it and I can't wait to see what Abrams can do with it going forward.
0: I concur. <laughs> uh, my number five is Logan. Um, This film, like when I first saw it, I was pretty much devastated. Uh, I'm not going to spoil that. I'm, I'm assuming most people have seen it or at least guessed where it goes, but I'm not, not going to say it. Just as you know, a goodbye for this character that we've followed for nearly twenty years. It's such a <clears throat> just a fitting uh you know farewell uh for both uh Hugh Jackman as uh Logan and Patrick Stewart as Professor X. And you know it's it's, it's an R rated superhero film that Goes to these incredibly dark places that we normally don't see, we don't get to see, and just deals with them with this, with just really mature, um, I guess <laughs> adult storytelling. And yeah, I don't, I definitely don't want every superhero film to be like this, but I'm glad we got this one. It's this really, it's such a, hmm. it's, it's it's basically kind of kind of a western. With except for revolvers, the guy has claws. But the way it's told, the where the directions that James Mangold takes these characters in, um, and then he brings in the new character up, X-23, played by Daphne Keen, who is incredible. But just the, the the arcs that he takes these characters on, and just how unflinching his vision of this world is, and the places he will go, and the th- things he will do to people in the story. I just I just have no end of respect um for just how how dark and uh, and gloomy the vision is and yet he never loses sight of the humanity of these characters everything that happens comes back to these characters and their emotions and their arcs and it it still ma- in spite of how just dark and gruesome it is it, it s- manages to have this solid sense of humanity and uh, even hope with how it ends that I, I I just, I think it's, it's, it's a very rough ride, but it's such a good movie.
1: I will have more to say on that later.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm kind of rambling just cause it's been so long since I've seen it, but I, it is one of the more moving experiences uh, for this year. Um, so what, uh, what was your number four, James?
1: Okay. So for my number four, I have baby driver, um, uh, this movie to me was pretty much everything that I wanted it to be. I I saw it and instantly just wanted to turn around and pay for the ticket again and rewatch it and rewatch it. Um, uh, I've since devoured just endless videos breaking down the editing of it. And honestly, if there were justice in the world, Edgar Wright would get a nomination for best directing because of how detailed and uh, meticulous everything is. This movie moves to a beat nonstop, and it does so without feeling forced. It it feels like the music of this movie was designed for a film already shot because of how perfectly in sync they are. Uh, the characters are just incredible amounts of fun. Uh, Ansel Elgort... Um, Is a really really great lead Uh, the way he films action is unconventional at times especially considering what he's doing with the music Um, but just everything fun there is about movies and all of the joy there is in seeing someone excel at their craft is just really on full display with this movie and it's one that I've Enjoyed almost more and more every time I rewatch it.
0: That may or may not appear higher on my list. Uh, My number four is Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I'm not a big fan of the first Blade Runner. I think it 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 has this wonderful atmosphere that just kind of draws you in, and is like you can't look away from the screen. And the visuals are astonishing. The world building, all of that is like incredible. And you see its its influences on every corner of sci fi. But I don't. I just found it completely cold and lacking in any kind of human humanity there's i just there's no soul or emotion or anything like any kind of character depth or arcs in it um and for me th- this film was kind of it had every great thing about uh the first blade runner with this really deep emotional core and really wonderful character arcs in the uh in the character uh played by ryan gosling I f- K right Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. And then they named her Joe later, I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, so he, him as the the, the lead uh, replicant, and then they bring back Harrison Ford as Deckard, and uh, I think Anna Diarmas, mm-hmm. at least her name. Just these these really fascinating characters that that you know we we've seen AI you know taken it every imaginable direction before. And yet this film took it in new directions that I'd I'd never seen uh considered. Um the way it just it deals with, you know, identity and what whether or not these replicants, you know, have a soul and what, what their purpose is and and you know just that that, that constant search for identity that, that is, you know, it is the core theme of just about every AI story. But they they, they told it in a way that I think was entirely unique. Um Denis Villeneuve, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, has such an incredible visual eye and uh, alongside Roger Deakins created one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Every frame could be, you know, mounted on the wall as, as a poster. And just the, the. I think it's a little slowly paced. Like there were a couple of times where I was just kind of like vaguely on the edge of boredom. It is a three hour movie, but the story, I think, is so good, where it takes these characters, the visuals, everything about it is just, you know, firing on all cylinders. It's just a wonderful, in, really intelligent movie that is way more beautiful than any movie has a right to be. Oh, and uh, H- Harrison Ford gives the best performance I've seen, well, actually, since 2015 with The Force Awakens, but he, he gives a really good performance uh, so, as uh, Deckard. So, yeah, very good movie.
1: And Dave Batista is really good in it. And I'm ready for him to really be taking uh taking more dramatic roles because I think he he has mm-hmm. the potential.
0: Yeah, not uh, very big role, but he he is excellent.
1: Yeah, uh, this was actually my number six, and it was really, really fighting to be included. Um I I do share in your sentiment about being a little bit too close to comfort, uh in terms of boredom. I thought there were certain scenes that just really started to drag on uh, part, of, part of what is, is my bigger problem with it is there are too many loose ends for me, some of which can be chalked up for a play at a potential sequel others just feel like the movie decided to care about other things um, but all in all yeah, this the, the story is much more emotional and personal I think this time around and yeah top 10 most beautiful looking movies I've seen uh and for my number three, I have Logan uh like you, I just felt emotionally devastated by this movie um it i think I think the word you use that I completely agree with is unflinching this This movie goes every bit as dark as you'd expect, and then maybe even a little bit more so uh The violence is very, very brutal, but it it kind of just feels like what it. Really practically always should have given that they're adamantium claws and they really now have the the R rating that they can have Wolverine just really go at it. But what I love about the action in this movie is there's never an action scene for the sake of an action scene. There's never a time where they they catch up to him to fight him for a bit only to move on. Uh, There's the action always either drives the story forward Or makes way for an incredibly intimate character moment. Um, It's always grounded and completely integrated into the themes and plot of the movie, to where it never feels like they're just trying to play around with their R rating for the sake of it. Um, And yeah, it does does
0: a little bit, but
1: (laughs) ah, man, I don't know. See, every 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 scene to me i can think of why it's there and why it's necessary and while maybe it not go on as long i don't think it, it ever it never really feels like it's just reveling in it um in fact it makes the violence just feel almost dirty like it's this is a guy just scrounging like and this fight is really just a scrap and he's swinging and you know cutting people up left and right just to survive and uh, I, I love the... As as morbid as it sounds, I really love the movie's portrayal of violence. Um, but as dark as it is, we do get these glimmers of hope. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really, at some points, oddly sweet and endearing uh, just because of how much it cares about these characters. And Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman give their best performances of this entire series and i say that without a second's hesitation uh, they are both phenomenal here uh both end up bringing me to tears and this movie honestly is is pretty ambitious uh and or at least audacious in terms of what it does with these characters there are some things that happen where i'm like that, that doesn't really feel like a decision you would assume a lot of fans would kind of sign off on, but you do it. And we were all on board because of how well executed it was. And, um, the, the newcomer with Daphne Keen, I honestly think that is my new favorite performance from a child. It's so good that she was to me giving a performance that was on par with Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart. Just the way she's able to convey so much emotion through looks uh, she's a fantastic visual actress um uh, and when it, when her character does come to the speaking roles it's just she's bringing a level of intensity a very very human and believable intensity uh, and arguing back and forth with these prestigious actors and it, it was she honestly deserves a nomination for this performance and so i yeah i really i fell in love with this movie I think 5 minutes into it I knew that it was going to be one that I was going to be completely on board for and it never disappointed.
0: My number 3 is Dunkirk. Um Christopher Nolan, you know, he's just you know, him he's just you know just expanding, you know, cinematic storytelling and just you know the same thing he does with every film. <laughs> uh it's it's the things he does with you know how we perceive stories, how and you know, editing, and the way he laces together three separate uh, storylines that cover different time periods, and make in a way that I think is incredibly seamless. And each each uh, consecutive scene complements the ones it's placed around, even though it's happening at a completely different time period. It's just such a brilliant way to tell a story that I don't think could have been told as effectively any other way. Um, Hoyt Van Horten Cinematography. If uh, Blade Runner 2049 hadn't come out this year, I would be, you know, ranting for this to win Best Cinematography because it is so effective. Every shot is this incredible, you know, painting and the way he conveys every, whatever emotion we're supposed to be feeling at that time, uh, just between his shots and uh, Nolan's editing and just, it's it's so it's such a different film than it, it it's not a war film I would say it's far more of a like a horror movie than a war film just the way it places us on this beach with these soldiers there's a sense of just constant building dread and claustrophobia that just fills every second of screen time uh, with the you know, Zimmer's score, which is this really kind of Grading thing that just gets under your skin. and puts you in that mindset to where every moment you are on edge, and you just feel every ounce of terror that these people that were on that were trapped on this beach feel. And a problem a lot of people had with it is that there is no real, there's no real lead characters. There's no real character arcs. We just follow a bunch of different people, a lot of them who barely even speak uh, through these situations. And I I partially agree, but I think that's also very intentional because. The, you, it's trying to portray what it would feel like on that beach. And you wouldn't be having, you know, these huge dramatic revelations about yourself and, you know, and solving personal problems in this situation. It's just, its goal is to put us into this mindset and to feel what it would be like. And so I really respect that it chose to tr- try and be as realistic as possible in how it portrayed these people. But, but I don't think it is devoid of emotion. I think, as the film comes around and you see where it's going and you see where these where these storylines have been leading and how they connect i think it's incredibly powerful and i i cried the first time and i cried like even more the second time watching it just seeing all these people you know fight for so long and you know to come, as they you know to come back and just the fact that they lived is I think I just as satisfying as any, you know, uh, you know, bombastic moment or wonder or character art could have been. Just the way he makes just the humanity of these soldiers the character. The characters. So, so he makes us, you know, take joy in every single life that is saved and feel the tragedy of every life lost. And you just I think to come to fully appreciate this this national um uh, occasion that it for for that this thing is for England and just how important it was for the war and and what it meant just for this nation i think it it um it really really works um just on an emotional level on a very visceral and different level than we're used to seeing for a character drama but i don't think that's what it was trying to be so i don't i don't see a problem with that
1: yeah the the way he was able to almost mimic the feeling of it cuz this is as weird as it is. I almost think that I would count it as a positive that you almost feel bored at times in this movie. And when I say that, I mean, it's you, you go from just sitting on a beach waiting for something to happen. So, you know, you're now on this ship and you're looking for the exits and now you torpedo, there's been a torpedo attack and we're all trying to escape with our lives and then hiding in this, in this boat that's now being riddled with, well, it's just, constant kind of tension and then easement to where you're you're getting into an uneasy sense of um of i guess i wouldn't even know how to word it but the way he he realistically goes back and forth between all of the all of the different kind of situations you'd find yourself just back to back to back the way he structures it is really, really creative. I know a lot of people have now tried to, to, I guess, be a hipster and say, oh, Nolan is just what, you know, normal people like to think is artsy and say the th- the three timelines is too simple to really be that creative. But I-, I think you really hit the nail on the head in saying that it works in, in the way it tells the story where it's all fo- ends up, like it's all pointing to the same event, uh, but over these different time periods, but i think he goes one layer past that to where even though the the scene to scene transitions are cutting between times that aren't um that's not chronological it still makes sense in terms of filmmaking the cutting from this moment to this moment while not seamless in its continuity works perfectly based on what's being conveyed um i just think it's such a a different movie and nolan is gone on record saying he doesn't con- even consider it himself a war movie it's more of a, a survival movie um, and throughout the movie I did kind of feel like the naysayers at first until the ending came and I was crying in the theater and then it wasn't until then I realized how invested I was in this journey just without realizing it um, so just all of the technical aspects here Are incredible and I think it's a very reverential while realistic look uh, at a very very important moment in history yep Um, okay so now for my number two uh, I have Wind River which I actually only saw I it was actually New Year's Eve when I watched this (laughs) what a way to to bring in the new year is to falling into a state of depression but (laughs) this movie for the the first actually honestly, for a while, I was thinking this is this is a really good movie. Uh, there were a couple of monologues that did bring me to legitimate tears, not just watery eyes, but very real tears, and I was thinking, oh, you know this I, I get why people really enjoy this. this is very good, and then something happens in the movie, and obviously i 'm not going to spoil it, but this movie takes such a turn at a certain point. And by the end of the film, I feel like it's it's such a bare knuckle gut punch that I felt almost broken by the end of it. But while, while feeling so, in some ways, demoralized, it still ends up focusing on human triumph and celebrating uh, the persistence of human will and... It's, it's very celebratory of certain aspects. And so, as soul-crushing as this movie is often, it still doesn't feel like a complete downer. And Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner give two phenomenal performances. Uh, both, both have scenes that really just kind of knock me right out of my like knock my socks off in terms of how human it felt and how real and genuine it felt um and so and so both now can say that they've both brought me to tears and it was really really unexpected because kind and i guess this is just how um i, I forget the writer's name now
0: taylor sheridan
1: uh, taylor sheridan i guess it's just what he does best but sicario kind of left me the same way where not in terms of the same feeling because sicario (laughs) offers no real glimmer of hope but both movies just stuck with me and so after wind river finished I, i you know kind of try to celebrate new year's and and i do but this movie is just remained in the back of my head for days after because of how ugly it was willing to go um to the betterment of the story it was telling. Um, And I was just, I was really, really surprised at how much I ended up enjoying this movie and how invested I was.
0: Yeah, I don't really know what I could add to that. Um, It just, it's, the whole movie is a gut punch and it is willing to go to these incredibly grim places, like even darker than Logan. And yet there is such... Like almost like a humanistic hope underlining everything. Um, there's it just it the way it explores grief and just how it how it can just you know destroy a person and you know, it, like a it, like a, a community that is sick and it takes that and it just allows the characters to exist in it while also you're offering this little glimmer of hope, but also just as a crime thriller, I think it's, it's really well put together. I, I it wasn't perfect. I think there were a bit of, conve- couple of conveniences that kind of annoyed me, but just as a crime thriller with these really intense, hard hitting themes, I thought it was fantastic. My number two, my number two uh, was surprisingly split and I'm actually kind of shocked that this film uh, is kind of la- lasted this long. It was, it was my number one of the year for a long time and it just kind of stayed there. Every film I would watch, I would compare it to like, yeah, no, it it didn't it didn't you know make me feel as good or as as happy as Split did. So it just, it just stayed at the top, basically from January till now. And we, we talked about it might actually be two thousand sixteen, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> uh, so it just it is so good to see M Night Shyamalan back and completely at the top of his game. Just you know, I, I'm not a big horror guy, but. Just as a horror thriller, it was so effective. It had such a perfect sense of atmosphere and tone, uh, and the way it juggles tones—it go, it can go from this like just nail biting horror to this absurd comedy, and it never feels like it loses its sense of identity and purpose. And the performances—um, what is her name? You just said Honor it, on Taylor Joy. On is just, I think, a revelation in this movie. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a like a, it's a very different character than we're used to seeing. And I think the amount of humanity and empathy she can put into a character that would normally be considered unlikable, I think, is really incredible. And J- James McAvoy plays, uh, t- technically, there's 23 ki- personalities, but I think he only gets to show like, like eight or nine of them. And But the way he seamlessly slips from one personality to another and whether it's, you know, it's like an elderly, like dignified matriarch or this crazy eight-year-old kid, all of them he just throws his all. And what is amazing is that you could tell who he is through his body language. Like if he's one character then like shifts to another, you know which of these characters is just just by the way he holds his facial features. It's just really such a fantastic performance, and I think if it hadn't been so early in the year, it would have been in consideration for Best Supporting Actor, just because the level of focus he puts into the, all of these performances make making each one feel distinct. It's it's a th- you know, it's a thriller that is a, as thrilling as it can be, it, and it has a uh, this wonderful emotional core, plus all the you know, the, the performances, and and also has in the ending a reveal that is one of. Just one of those great cinematic moments that I will remember, for, you know, for the rest of my life. Being in the theater and having this reveal come up, I uh, it's kind of it's just the things that movies are made out of. Um, so I am so excited for the next one, and I'm really, really hoping that M Night Shyamalan can keep up this, uh you know, this comeback.
1: Yeah, I, I still remember seeing this ending in the theater and staying in my seat like for a solid 30 seconds extra because I was almost in disbelief of what I had seen the fact that they were willing to do this is just awesome and I I know myself and so many others all all are waiting for um for his next film to come out um so I I don't have it listed quite as high as you but I do genuinely love this movie and and for all of the reasons that you said uh, McAvoy is again just incredible, and there are moments where he goes from personality to personality. Where yeah, it, it is just this unspoken shift, and without a word, you know who he is right now. Like the second he becomes that personality, and so I it's, I do wish that it was just released in a different time because it's kind of lost any momentum at any sort of Oscar conversation, which is a shame because it's really deserving. Uh, I think my only criticism is sometimes the the pacing and editing feels a, a little bit off, especially at the very beginning. It just feels like we 're cutting really fast from a lot like a lot of different things happening at once it 's a lot less jarring uh watching it on on multiple occasions um it doesn 't feel as weird, but there are a couple of moments where it does kind of cut to a scene and we really only get like a handful of lines and we cut to something else and we get a handful of lines. It, it feels almost too breakneck, but it's, that's such a trivial complaint in comparison to how well executed the movie is on a whole that I, I can't really begrudge anyone who would rate it so high.
0: Hmm. I I did not feel that. Um, all right. And we are at our number one film of the year. What is your number one film of 2017, James?
1: Uh, Well, for me, It is War for the Planet of the Apes. This movie, I honestly understand a couple of the criticisms, but to me, they they fall under a line of criticism that, or a a kind of criticism that just doesn't really hold quite as much water to me as it does others. It, It doesn't affect the way I view a movie as much as it does a lot of other people. For this movie, from the opening scene to the Ending scene. I felt like this movie just had me in the most white-knuckled grip imaginable or conceivable from a movie. The opening scene is phenomenal. The way we're just we just jump back into this conflict and slowly build up dread. We're, we're watching monkeys throw spears at humans, but it feels <laughs> like the most gritty, realistic and horrific portrayal of war and combat as any movie could. And after that first scene, when we really get back to Caesar, it felt almost mythic. Like seeing him interact with this society that he's struggling to hold together, the interactions between he and his family, um, trying to balance being a a leader with his head on straight um, while have, still having very personal problems going on, his His character arc in this movie, as well as across the whole trilogy, is so incredible and moving uh the level of animation has never been better in any film and Andy Circus makes Caesar one of the greatest to me cinematic characters I've ever seen across this trilogy the The emotions this movie made me feel from genuine like almost painful sorrow at certain things that have happened to unbridled joy and the these bigger themes it has it's just it was just such an incredible cinematic experience um the only to me the only complaint that really means anything for me that i have is it is a very unfortunate misuse of woody harrelson uh i think a lot of what they did with the villain in terms of his actual physical presence and interaction um, wasn't as strong as it could have been as well as the, the themes that have kind of came innately attached with him didn't work in the larger scheme of things and so this is almost an instance where there are a couple other movies where as a whole were maybe better executed but in terms of me sitting in the theater and experiencing it it just affected me in a way that I in no way anticipated and when when the last scene happens and the credits roll i was walking out in tears thinking how how has a trilogy about talking monkeys made me <laughs> feel such a huge array of very very intense emotions and so i i just i'm floored by how much i connected with this movie and how well executed it was visually
0: i yeah i i agree with Almost everything you said there. Just the level of emotion in these characters is just astonishing. I think the the characters of uh, beyond just through the incredible performance from Andy Serkis as uh, Caesar, uh, uh, Nova, and Bad Ape, I think are absolutely wonderful. The way they're used in the story, the character arcs. Uh, I I I do. My big problem with it was I think the plot is just doesn't make a lot of sense it's i think it's sim- similar but to a far less extent cuz kind of the problems i had with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 which is, is like it just felt like it needed a bunch of rewrites to to make all these disparate plot elements flow into a a natural story it just felt like they were trying too hard to get at the idea and didn't justify the with the storytelling as much as they should have still it's this it's a wonderful movie it's incredibly dark very grim but just as a character piece for caesar and these other apes and the 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 cinematography all of that is is absolutely outstanding and i'm i'm so glad that matt reeves got to you know finish off this trilogy and with such a powerful film even if it's not perfect and for my number one film of last year uh it i just gotta go with baby driver um Edgar Wright seems to be operating just on an entirely different cinematic level than every other director out there. Just every decision and choice and edit and cut and musical cue in his films just is like perfectly firing for the maximum amount of entertainment and joy that could be brought out of any single second of cinema. Um it's just every moment of this movie is just, is just pure joy. Um, whether you know, it's these these incredible musical sequences that are perfectly integrating this music into these uh into whether it be car chases or dance dances or anything. Every time, every musical sequence is just perfectly edited to whatever song he's doing, and it just it's you it's just like you. This is what movies are made to be. Uh, you know, it's it's not a musical, but it it it, it operates kind of on that level where. Every single element of you know sound and, and visuals is is coming together in in this this, this per, perfectly cohesive sequence. Um, and the whole film plays like that. There's this really uh, engaging rhythm underlying everything. And what's so great about Edgar Wright's movies is be, you know beyond their style being so perfect, is that the character arcs are all are you know equally strong. Um, Ansel Elgort as this introvertly which we don't often see an introvert as the lead in an action comedy like this but i think the way he portrays the you know, what it's like to be an introvert um with it, 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 um is really uh both accurate and engaging it's it's not boring at all and um the rest of the cast so lily james is really uh, wonderful kevin spacey i mean look at this the dude is a scumbag but <laughs> there's a reason he became a famous actor and he's really good uh john Hamm was absolutely incredible um jamie fox and john berthal had a very small role uh was absolutely fantastic just everything in this movie is just you know firing on all cylinders to make a completely unforgettable ride uh no pun intended <laughs> uh just that just was the most joyful experience in, in the cinema that i've had this year and in, in several years just I I, I'm just collapsing into all kinds of hyperbole on this one, but I think it really is warranted. I mean, Edgar Wright makes movies like nobody else, and I am so happy uh, that we got this film.
1: Yeah, the the cast really does... The, the fact that they're all so good in these roles is icing on the cake because of how well executed the film itself is and all of its aspects. And I did want to talk about Jamie Foxx. I I overlooked him whenever I brought uh, brought it up in Miles, but just the level of like charming but crazy he was able <laughs> to bring into that role is just really, really fun. And then, yeah, John Bernthal, not in it much, but again, just proving why he's still sticking around in movies because of... You know how how great he is and everything he does, and, and that is what I love about Edgar Wright in terms, like, of talking about him as a a filmmaker beyond just a director, but him as a writer and director. And and you know he he he's not chief editor, but you know you can see his touch in all of the editing and the way everything's put together. Is he tells a very real story, like you said, within just this exercise of filmmaking. All of it you almost wonder what came first, like the idea of the film, or, or in terms of like its its hook, or you know the the character arc, the the story he wants to tell with this person, whether it's Shaun, uh, Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or World's End or yeah World's End or or Baby Driver, there's a very very real story going on. It just so happens, and to the treat of the audience, happens to be taking place within this perfectly directed. Uh, and fully engaging and hilarious uh film it's there's there's very few other directors right now that I think el- elicit as much joy from me in my viewing experiences as he does and i think it honestly makes me less forgiving of other directors who focus so much on style because he shows you can you can make a film with with more style than you can possibly imagine, and yet still make sure that it's just a phenomenal film in all aspects.
0: Yeah, it, it, the crazy thing is, if this had just been you know a completely straightforward thriller with this with this these you know this plot and characters, I think it still would have been a really good movie. And yet, it, it is also this brilliant exercise in cinematic style that is fully has found a way to you know fully integrate. Itself into these arcs in a way that is completely seamless. So yeah, it, it's it's just like you you could like you know have an entire film education just watching you know Edgar Wright five films over and over again because there's so much you can learn just about you know ca- you know character arcs and pacing and writing, but also the way he edits the stories together, the, you know the way he shoots them. It, it's just it's like he he just like his first language is film and he you know, he expresses it in these really incredible movies.
1: And like I said, I have definitely just immersed myself in video essays and breakdowns of his movies because of how much there is to dissect. Um, Yeah. He, Man, I hope he makes 20 more movies and then some.
0: All right. So that was our favorite films of 2017. Um, Just a really good year. Uh, I feel like I rambled a lot. It's super, super late, so I apologize for that. But uh, that was a fun discussion.
1: Yeah, I always have a lot of fun. And even talking about disappointments um, or underrated, overrated, I have a lot of fun kind of looking back um, within a specific time frame and seeing what did this year offer and how is it going to be remembered. and. Even though I saw considerably less than you, I still I know what's out there. So based on what I've seen and what I know is out there, I think this is going to be remembered as a very solid year of film. Uh, yeah. We've we've got some movies that came out now that I think are are going to end up being some of my favorites, you know, going forward uh, for the rest of my life and movies that I'll continue to enjoy. So all in all, I was really pleased with this year.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so I think. Next week will probably be The Last Crusade, uh, I think, because those were all recorded a while back. So I think after this comes out, it'll be Last Crusade. Um, so if you enjoy the show and uh, want to help us out, I would like, to, again, to ask if you could please go and rate us on iTunes and get, leave a review. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. And if you want to follow, follow us on Twitter, we are there as Franchise Pod. And if you want to find our older episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you online, James?
1: Uh, well, primarily on Letterboxd. It's a review site. I'm there as J.L. Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Um, I've tried to make it my mission to review every new movie I see twenty released in 2018 going forward, so you can see my thoughts on the films as they release there. Um, I also write for the site Article Asylum, uh, you can find us there at articleasylum.wordpress.com. Uh, I've kind of taken a hiatus but I plan on getting right back to it, uh, continuing my series of ranking the Star Wars movies and you can find uh, several other articles I've written there. Um, and you can also send me a friend request on Facebook if you just want to talk about movies and things like that, uh, I am James Hamrick there. so. Uh, just message me saying you know you listen to the podcast and I'd love to just continue to talk.
0: And uh, I am also on Letterbox as Gabriel Green, and I am on Twitter and I will uh, occasionally tweet something, <laughs> not a lot, but I'm, I am there if you want to follow me on Twitter. I'm there as Gabe A Green, uh, and I'm also on Facebook and like James. Uh, if you want if you want a friend request, me just uh, shoot me a message saying that you're a fan of the podcast and I will uh, I will confirm it.
1: So, until next week, when we hopefully, I think, talk about the best of the Indiana Jones series, we will see you in the sequel.
0: See ya.